The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. It's time for our weekly TV and streaming spot. We're joined as ever from Cork by Joe Shea and Elaine Burke is with us here in Dublin. And Elaine, I believe you're exercised by the swift return of Neighbours. Yeah, what the hell? (laughs) It's gone and now it's back again already. There was so much hoopla around the end of Neighbours, this decades long running TV series and Amazon Prime has picked it back up. But hold on, and they got everyone who had been in it, who was a star over the last 35 years or so. A huge, like massive stars. Guy Pearce, Margot Robbie, Kylie Minogue were back for that finale and made a huge deal out of it and then didn't mean anything, apparently. Ramsey Street is coming back. Joe Shea, comeback tours are getting faster, it seems. <laughs> they are, because, you know, with all these streaming services competing against each other, they need kind of like surefire hits, ones that will get an audience for them that have that kind of brand recognition, as they'd call it in marketing. So it's you're seeing more and more and more of these shows being brought back from the dead. And obviously, they weren't even going to hang around to give neighbours, a, a, you know, a, a decent funeral. They just kind of <laughs> dr- dragged it out of the tomb as quickly as possible and whacked it back up on Amazon again. Okay. Would it be worth watching, do you reckon? Um, was well, it ever I worth watching? Yeah, oh, sorry, I'm seeing <laughs> my part, sorry. <laughs> I think Elaine may, may, may be the best place to answer that because I haven't watched Neighbours since, oh God, I mean, a long, long time ago. I was honestly only interested in watching the finale because it brought back people that I would have watched when I was younger. I mean, Kylie and Jason were on my walls when I was a kid. So I wasn't really watching it in the years in between and I won't be going back. <laughs> okay. Are you watching any of the World Cup coverage? I'm not, no. And I know uh, Westerners taking a stand against it are, are getting grief in certain ways as well because it was all right when it was on in other countries that had human rights abuses. But I think for a lot of people, this is just a last straw and people are becoming more conscious consumers. And yeah, I just can't bring myself to watch it this time around. Are you watching it, Joe? I decided not to watch yesterday's yeah. opening ceremony and first I decided I would, I would start watching it today. What do you make of the way the TV stations in this part of the world are handling it. It's very interesting that BBC basically completely blanked the opening ceremony and instead kind of talked about the, you know, human rights abuses, about all of the issues with migrant workers that we've seen and about the sports washing and also about FIFA and what they've been doing in all of this, which is, you know, grotesque, uh, not to put too fine a point on it. I won't be watching. I might, might, might watch England and Wales. I'm kind of interested in that, but you can't. Like, I'm a big, I'm a big football fan. I'm a big sports fan. I've been to a World Cup. I was at a World Cup in 2002 in Japan and Korea, which was one of the most amazing experiences of my life. I normally I would be eating this up, but I just can't. I I just can't watch it. Okay. Look, we'll have more with Miguel Delaney uh, later on and Mark Lawrenson as well on the World Cup. So I'll leave it with you on that particular point and move on to other things. Elaine, tell us about the return of Dead to Me on Netflix. Yeah, this is a great show. If you haven't caught it yet, this is its third and final season. It's just back to Netflix now. It stars Christina Applegate and Linda Cardellini. And this season definitely will be the last and it might be Christina Applegate's last starring role as well. Explain Uh, why. She was diagnosed with MS in the midst of filming this season and they did think about scrapping the whole thing um, but she, uh, a few months after she had kind of 
been to treatment and found that she felt like she'd be capable to, capable to go on. She insisted with show owner Liz Feldman that she wanted to go ahead with it. But there are some scenes where you might notice that she might be leaning against a door frame or standing um, with some sort of surf- surface in front of her so she can lean on it because she was walking mostly with the aid of a cane at the point of the later episode. So there's a lot of poignancy to it and apparently I haven't got to the end yet. I didn't binge it all in one swoop, fell swoop but apparently it's got quite a poignant ending as well on top of that. For those who haven't seen it, is it worth going back starting at season one? What's it all about? Yeah, there's loads of twists and turns in it. Essentially, there's a, a lot of death and murder and two friends that are so unlikely. They've done everything to each other to stop themselves from being friends, but the, their friendship really persists. I don't want to give away too much because it's one of those shows that has constant twists and turns in it. So if that's the kind of thing you're into, it's absolutely worth a look. And the two leads, Linda Cardellini and Christina Applegate, are tremendous in it. And Joe, you're interested in another wet Netflix programme, Wednesday Adams. So is this the Adams family to Netflix 30 years after the movies? Yeah, it is basically. It's a reboot. And I, I've seen clips of it and I've seen long clips of it. And what it is, is sort of emo Harry Potter would be the best way to describe it because it's totally focused in. And it is amazing to think it is 30 years since those Adams, Adam family, the two uh, Adam family uh, movies that kind of brought the kind of the classic 60s um, black and white sitcom back to life. Um, this is very interesting and it's getting huge rave previews from, from a lot of people. Um, it focuses in on Wednesday Adams, right? Christina Ricci played her, you know, in the, uh, in the, the early 90s reboots. And there's a, a young actress called Jenny, Jenna Ortega and she is now playing Wednesday. And basically, Wednesday Adams has kind of um, caused a lot of trouble at her school. So she's sent to this sort of... Uh, um, boarding school, which is again, it's like emo, um, you know, Hogwarts, you know, is the best way to describe it. It's kind of pitched, I'd say, at a kind of a young adult audience, but I think a lot of people are going to get a lot of f- fun and enjoyment out of this because it looks amazing. Chris- Jenny Ortega looks great. Catherine Zeta Jones is in it and she looks stunning as Morticia Adams and Luis Guzman and uh, Fred Armisen as well who's a really good uh, comic actor as Uncle Fester I think that even though it is kind of pitched at that kind of young adult audience or seems to be I think that that, that it's really going to find a, a big audience um, you know in a, in a wider sense and I think it's really one to watch and of course because it's called Wednesday it is dropping on Netflix on Wednesday Will this interest you Elaine? I would have ate this up as a young adult. <laughs> I would have been all over this. And I can see kids today, they, there's a lot of kids with little gothic tendencies still, a lot yeah. of emo still around. So I think this is going to do well. I'm in- intrigued to see the chemistry between Catherine Zeta-Jones and Louise Guzman because the original portrayal in the films was so iconic and the chemistry between those two was, would be hard to beat. So I think that, that'll be the part to watch. Okay. Have you continued watching I'm a Celebrity? Get me out of here. I've been keeping up to date on... Uh, what's happening there but uh, being on TV last week I didn't have time to watch a whole lot of it but uh, I hear Boy George is acting the diva as we would have expected. Uh, yeah, perhaps. I mean, no one is surprised. This is what the producers wanted out of this. So uh, he didn't get a golf buggy brought to bring him back from a trial, and he was given out about that. Um, because her from Curry, Sue from Curry, got got it. Um, his chanting and his meditations are apparently irritating both viewers and uh, camp campmates. But I think there's a bit of editing going on there as well. He's getting a lot of airtime now as well. Um, Matt Hancock isn't getting stuck with the trials constantly anymore. Um, and seems to be maybe has he redeemed himself in the public size at this point? It's hard to see. 
God, I think that you could actually redeem yourself, given the politician that he was, by mm-hmm. spending a week or two in the jungle on this programme. But Joe, I suppose that was, apart from the £400,000 cheque, part of his calculation. Yeah, but I think the kind of people are getting a bit bored of him and, and his antics and his quite obvious campaign to kind of rehabilitate himself or turn himself into some sort of, you know, dealist celebrity so he has a life beyond the parliament. What's interesting, one of the interesting things today is Scarlett Douglas, uh, who's from A Place in the Sun, a second person to be eliminated. Um, she and a said trend that is developing. A trend is developing, yeah. yeah. Now, one, one thing she said when she came out and she did some interviews, she said that she said that one or two of the main stars don't want to be there at all and want to get out and are looking to be voted out. And she was kind of, I thought, pointing towards Boy George. You can think like Boy George has got his money. He probably doesn't want to hang around the jungle anymore. And he doesn't need it. So why, you know, he might be trying to get himself voted off. But also, and you're, you're right, you referred to it there. It's the second year in a row where, you know, people are seeing, whether it's there or not, a, a race prejudice in the voting in that uh, Scarlett Douglas and Charlene White have both gone uh, and, were, you know, didn't seem to be uh, popular with the public at all. Um, so and this isn't the first year that that's happened isn't the first either, year. is it? No, it's happened before and it happened last year. And, you know, once maybe, a co- you know, once or twice maybe a coincidence, but it seems to be a constant trend. And it is, I, I think the producers of the show now are going to be looking very carefully carefully at this and I also think that maybe those two presenters it might be something that they will talk about in the near future. Underlying racism in, amongst British TV viewers perhaps Elaine? You just can't deny that there's a pattern there like Scarlett as well I was quite shocked about like Charlene in the mm. one challenge I saw her do she wasn't really going for it the way you'd expect some like people know what they're signing up for with these challenges um, but Scarlett seemed very well liked she seemed to be like yeah. pulling her weight and, and I thought was one of the favourites to go far so I was really shocked when she was eliminated and everyone that was up for eliminated happened to be a person of colour. Okay. Joe Shade, has everyone on trial on Monday Night Television and RTE, uh, what would they be on trial for given that it's Katie Hannon yeah. <laughs> who's getting the old Clareburn slot with Monday Night Live? Yeah, that is a funny one because it was, uh, maybe this was the, the the media kind of building this up, but, you know, we did have, we had Monday Night Live, which I was actually on last Monday night, um, which had four presenters, Dave McCullough, Sharon Tobin, uh, Louise Byrne and Mark Coughlin. And we were, uh, everybody kind of assumed that this was a sort of like, you know, Hunger Games fight to the death. Whoever <laughs> does the best job of this is going to get that very prime, you know, um, that, that Monday night slot, you know. And then, after all of that, it turns out that it's Katie Hannon uh, and it's going to be called Upfront with Katie Hannon. It's going to start in January 2023. Now, Katie Hannon, of course, is very popular broadcaster, very uh, And a very hardworking who has worked her way yeah. through over the decades she to has. where she is. She has. And that's interesting. You know, and it's, I'm good, it's good that you refer to that because she really has kind of worked her way up from the trenches in RTE in the kind of the old-fashioned way that people used to do before. And, you know, she she's got... People like her, and it seems like a very good choice. But if you were one of those four reporters that had kind of like tried out for the for the place, I wonder how you'd be feeling about this. Because were they told beforehand? RT are now saying that it was always only meant to be eight shows, and that you know it wasn't a trial. It wasn't a sort of like trial by combat to see who gets the prime slot. But good luck to Katie Hannon. Um, very interesting thing that they're saying it's going to be a cross cross platform show, and that as well as presenting it, uh, Katie will also be authoring. Um, 
pieces for RT uh, online and that she will be engaging throughout the week in a social conversation across digital platforms where the public can drive the issues. Now that's going to be interesting because you know anybody who spends any on time any time interacting with people on on social mm-hmm. social media is going to know that's going to be a t- the, probably the toughest part of the job for. Yeah, absolutely, lots of blocking and muting required. Yes. <laughs> What's yeah, your yeah. pick of the week, please, Elaine? Uh, I am going to be tuning in to a series. I think there's only like three or four episodes in it uh, on BBC Two about Agatha Christie. So it's with Lucy Worsley she, ah, she's she was only in here a few weeks ah. ago she did the mm. Culture Club and talked about she's her great. book on Agatha Christie exactly she literally wrote the book on Agatha Christie so she's very well qualified to cover the mystery queen and it's looking back on her life and how that might have influenced her uh, mastery of the mystery novel Okay, so that is one where on and when? BBC Two on Friday night. It's on late enough at 11, after 11 o'clock. No, Joe Shea, I saved the best wine maybe to yeah. last. Your <laughs> pick of the week? Yeah, tonight on RT1, 9.35, Saipan, Rebel Without a Ball. And I, I don't know, do we need to know more and talk more about Roy Keane and Saipan 2002? Of course we do, because, you know, it's one of the great controversies of all time, from not just from Irish sporting life, but Irish, sport, Irish life in general. And this sounds like it has an interesting premise. Now, we're going to get uh, interviews with like Bertie Ahern, Paul Kimmage, Jason McIntyre, Shea Given and Mario Rosenstock. But what about but, Roy Keane himself? Yeah. No, I don't think so. No, he's, he's you know, he's, he doesn't really talk he's, about these things, does Roy? Um, but one, one interesting thing that they are going to look at is the question that, you know, haunts everybody. And I was at that World Cup and, and I was at all the Ireland games. And, you know, we did really well. And it was a penalty shootout against Spain and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, but I saw How Kevin Caban writing about this at the weekend yeah. saying we'd have got to yeah. the final if Roy Keane yeah. had played. Yeah, exactly. I mean, how far would we have gone? Because not only was Roy missing, that it, it really put a a big shadow and a pall over the whole start of, of, of the campaign and if the, if the Irish team had been united if everybody had been behind Mick McCarthy if Roy was there driving us forward and he was kind of in his prime I think at that stage Absolutely. as well it, it, it would have been it, it could have been it's the great coulda woulda shoulda of, of, Irish, of Irish sports yeah, but maybe the fact that he wasn't there lifted the other players to prove themselves. Yeah, I mean, we, remember we, Matt Holland got the equaliser against Cameroon. He probably wouldn't yeah. have been in the team. Yeah, it, and I, I was at that game and I remember and I was around, in and around the Ireland team. I was working for the Star newspaper at the time and doing with the fans. But it, it, I was in and around with Mick McCarthy and you'd see them around. It did, there was a kind of a grim determination amongst a lot of them. And they were kind of like in the background, they were saying to people, right, well, you know, we're going to do it without Roy. You know, and there was that sense. But it was a twenty-first century civil war for Ireland, wasn't yeah. it? I mean, it was like you know, whether you fell what side were yeah. you for Roy Keane yeah. or against Roy Keane? Well, Matt, I, you were in Dublin at the time working in the media. I was in Dublin at the time working in the media, and whenever I open my mouth, Cork accent, and immediately you're with that effort, Roy Keane, and that effort did f and and he effed off and all this kind of stuff. I was getting literally. I'm not exaggerating here. I was getting run out of pubs in Dublin city centre just for the fact that I was from Cork, and I would I. Would dare to speak up for Roy Keane? Well, was, it was I, terrible, Matt. It was terrible. I was editor of the Sunday <laughs> Tribune at the time, and I always remember it happened a week after we had a general election. And mm. normally, for a newspaper, newspaper sales go up because of an election, and they did. But they went up even higher the following week when we had Roy Keane walking trigs on the Saturday that he yeah. arrived back into Manchester, yeah. and the photograph on the front page the following morning. And God, did we sell a lot of newspapers because of that?
Yeah, God. And, and you know, people say as well, I mean, what if Twitter had been around at the moment? But he really would at that. He would have broken the internet if, he, if you know, if Twitter and social media was around back then. Well, Twitter's probably going to break this weekend anyway. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Well, there that's is a true. good chance when uh, you're down to a third of your staff and some of them were actually involved in the maintenance of the platform and there's a massive global world event going on well, at funny the enough, time. Elon Musk tried to say the best place to follow the World Cup is on Twitter. I don't know. Has he not ever heard of television? Where we can watch the bloody matches. And yeah, also yeah. FIFA is not going to be happy if they don't sort out their copyright problem, which the, the, there's been a lot of pirated material launched on Twitter because the copyright systems have broken. <laughs> ah, OK. Look, we got to leave it there. Elaine Burke, uh, editor of Silicon Republic, and Joe O'Shea, thank you very much for being with us here on The Last Word at Today FM. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today FM.